America. The Sprint Network is now more reliable than ever, and I'm on a mission to prove it's the fastest. I'm traveling the country betting anyone and everyone that Sprint is faster than their network. And Sprint's winning. The Sprint LTE network is now more reliable than ever. Switch today and stop overpaying for wireless. Visit the Sprint store or Sprint.com slash network to learn more. Offer coverage not available everywhere. Speed claim based on analysis of average delivered download speeds using Nielsen and MP data. Savings on select plans. Restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Lajanusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the Tee with Chris Mascara. The show where professionals and industry leaders come to talk about the great game of golf. Today, Chris welcomes LPGA professional Allison Pert, Callaway Golf Director of Marketing Jason Finley. So Chris, as I turn it over to you, please tell us who's next on the tee. Thank you, Joe. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining me this morning on Next on the Tee. I am your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I think I'm waking up people all over California. I'm not even sure the sun is up on the West Coast yet, but our two guests are. And uh, like I said, I've got two great folks that are going to be joining me today, and I appreciate them knocking the dew off the first tee with me. First up is going to be LPGA Pro Allison Kurt. Allison is a PGA Master of Instruction and voted by her LPGA peers as the Western Section Teacher of the Year, so I'm excited to have her joining me here in just a few minutes. A little later, I'll be joined by Callaway Golf's Director of Marketing, Jason Finley. We'll chat with Jason about all their new innovations for this golf season, including their new Big Bertha driver, their Speed Regime golf balls, and Apex irons. He'll be here about 20 minutes from now. But before we get started, I want to kick off the show by saluting our military personnel listening in on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We also want to thank those of you who serve in every branch of public service. Thank you for doing what you do every day to protect our freedom and our liberty. We truly appreciate the sacrifices you make. Our sincere thanks as well to Dennis Farrell, Stephen Lee, and all the folks at Armed Forces Radio. It's an honor for us to be a part of your network. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org and clicking on the sports link that you're going to find in the bottom right-hand side of the page or the radio link in the upper right-hand corner. Also be sure to give those guys a follow on Twitter at the AFRN, the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now joining me is my first guest, Allison Kurt. Allison is from St. Louis, Missouri. She played collegiately at Florida State, where she earned degrees in psychology and professional golf management. She went on to earn her master's in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy from Pepperdine University. On the tee, or on the tour, I should say, she won the 2012 Western Section Championship and earned an exemption into the LPGA Championship. Uh, she'll be competing in that tournament again this season. And for one, I'll be rooting hard for home, her to bring home that title. Good morning, Allison. Thanks for taking time out of your morning, getting up early to be next on the tee with me. Is the sun up yet in L.A.? It is working its way up, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate you getting up early on a Saturday to join me. Um, um, so let's get started at the beginning, really, Allison. Uh, how did you get started? Where did you pick up the bug for golf? Well, interesting enough, it um, it came from a little bit of jealousy regarding my brother. Um, so back in St. Right? Louis, 
Yeah, yeah. Back in St. Louis, um, when I was growing up, a lot of organized team sports didn't start until the age of eight, as well as um, the course that we grew up at didn't allow junior golfers until the age of eight. And so my brother, who was two years older than me, seemed to be getting a lot of attention because he was playing athletics and my dad would coach him and they would have this special time together. And so, frankly, I was a little bit jealous. And my mom, um, you know, kind of nudged my dad and said, hey, you're going to have to start doing something with her. So he would actually sneak me out on the golf course when I was seven years old, and I really only had a couple of clubs. Um, not a lot of organized instruction and just picked it up and, and started hitting a pretty good ball. And that was sort of our special time together. And when I turned eight, then I was able to get more involved, um, not only in other sports, but getting organized lessons and doing some junior golf programs. And I just really loved it. I loved being out there with my dad. I loved competing. I loved winning. That was always a big highlight for me as a youngster. And that's how I picked it up. So you mentioned athletes. Now, you are a well-rounded athlete. I was reading in high school you played golf, you played basketball, you ran track and field. Was golf always the first love, or what, you know, how did golf ultimately end up winning out and being your favorite sport and obviously the direction you took your career? Well, it wasn't always um, the top sport for me as far as my priority because it wasn't cool. It wasn't the cool sport to play. Um, (laughs) Anytime you were on a team, that was the cool thing to do. So, you know, I had bouts of being on the swim team, being on the softball team, um, of course, basketball in high school and track in high school. And, you know, right before I was getting into high school, in the fall time, are two big female sports. It's either golf or, at that time, cross-country. And I had seen this uh, cross-country athlete be in the newspaper week after week after week um, winning cross-country meets. And I was like, that must be the cool thing to do. And so before going into high school, I was trying to convince my parents that, hey, I want to do this sport and not golf. Well, they had to work pretty hard in order to get me to um, continue playing golf on the golf team since it wasn't the cool thing to do. And, you know, after four years being on the high school team and having the success that I did, I sort of made it um, a little bit cooler (laughs) factor. And (laughs) then I was able to earn, you know, my college scholarship that way. So, yeah, throughout my youth, there was always a little bit of back and forth about, maybe I should do something different. But this always uh, persevered for me. So, Speaking of your your um, your scholarship, you went to you went to Florida State. How did Florida State end up uh, you know winning your services? I'm, I got to imagine uh, after the success you had in college, there were a bunch of schools knocking down your door to get you to go play there. One of my dreams was to have a full ride. So my parents had invested um, in my mind quite a bit of money playing in tournaments and taking me around the country over the summer to be able to compete at whatever tournament I wanted. So one of the biggest paybacks that I felt I could do was to earn a full scholarship. So there were a lot of schools that recruited me, but to get that, you know, 100% financial support um, was limited down to just a couple, like three or four if I remember. And Florida State definitely had a much better climate than Missouri, so you could play (laughs) golf more full-time around. 
and plus a couple of um, mentors that were also from the Midwest happened to be down in that area as well. And so it just ended up winning. It was a big athlete school, so, you know, they really supported all of their athletes. And it was in the top 25 ranking for Division One. So all the factors just seemed to go. And then, you know, the coach also offered me the um, full scholarship. Wow. So I read on your on your Florida State bio that Annika Sorenstam is the athlete that you most admire. What do you admire most about her? You know, I think just the fact that she won so much and was always so humble and graceful about it. Um, it wasn't, I never saw her really get mad on the golf, golf course. I never really saw her be cocky. She was always just a sweet, humble person, yet her athleticism, you know, shone, and she just kept winning. So that was what was so exciting. And I had an opportunity to meet her right after she won her first U.S. Open. There was a LPGA stop in St. Louis, and um, I was at Forest Hills Country Club, and she was able to make an appearance at um, the little country club that we belonged to. So it was cool to be able to meet her before she got big and then be able to follow her as she really progressed. Did you have the opportunity to catch up with her later? And, you know, based on, you know, what you saw, anything changed from the moment you met her till you know, the end of her career? You know, I haven't had the opportunity to run into her again. However, her sister, Charlotta, is an LPGA member, and we have competed in some of our LPGA teaching and club pro events as well. So, and it just seems like the whole family is super sweet because Charlotta is incredibly nice as well. That's great. I read that in 2002 you made your first hole-in-one during the NCAA uh, Central Regional. For a guy who's been playing the game for 30-plus years and still waiting for his first hole-in-one, describe the thrill of what it was like to make a hole-in-one during a tournament. Well, it was actually my second hole-in-one, but it was probably the the biggest and most – marketed because it was at NCAA Regionals. My first hole-in-one yeah. actually was when I was 13, and it was one of those Hi, like late 13. summer night with, you know, dad, and it kind of yeah. hit the cart path, goes over the bunker, around a rake, halfway across the green, <laughs> lands in the hole. So it was a little scrappy for that one. And then we kind of rushed to Don't finish count. to make it a full, yeah, make it to finish a full regulation round. But the NCAA regional hole-in-one was pretty interesting because it was my first hole of the day. We actually started off on really? the back nine that particular day, and it was a, um, a par three. And gosh, it's really hard to play 17 more holes after you've just <laughs> <laughs> jarred it, you know, on your first shot of the day. So, and it yeah. was miserable weather and super cold. So, but still, really need to be able to do that at a regional uh, location. Are the informal rules still in play? Did you have to buy a coke or something for everybody in the clubhouse <laughs> afterwards? <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think NCAA rules permitted any of that. But no, we definitely <laughs> celebrated with the team. <laughs> so what's really interesting about hole in ones is that you know not only is it a combination of skill, but it is so much luck. So uh-huh. any ability golfer has the opportunity. That's one thing that we're all on the same playing field is is to be able to um, you know get that sacred hole in one. In 2012, you won the Western Section Championship by one stroke over Allison Finney at La Quinta Country Club. Talk about that event and what that meant for your career. 
That was um, a pretty cool section event. It was um, the first day played really great. Um, conditions were a little windy, and it just kind of persevered, made a lot of pars, a couple of birdies, but it was a really stable stable round. And when I came in, um, I think I was in the lead by quite a few strokes. And then that night when it hit me what the um, consequences were for winning, I started to get a little excited. And that second round, um, I got ahead of myself. And so Allison and I, she's such a nice, nice lady. We've played a lot of golf together. We were really duking it out um, on the back nine holes. And it wasn't a pretty last hole, but we, we managed to, you know, duke it out and just barely snuck in there by a stroke. So once it all hit me afterwards, what I had, what I had won Gosh, it was such an amazing, um, amazing feeling to think that I had qualified not only for my first tour event, but a major on top of that. Right. Right. To your point, right, that got you into the LPGA Championship. Talk about the thrill of uh, competing, you know, actually, to your point, in a major. Yeah, you know, for so many years, my my dream had always been to be a full-time tour professional, and it just didn't seem like it was in my destiny, you know, working full-time, um, trying to go to Q school and not really making the cut and not really having the funds to be able to continue to attempt to do so. I had sort of given up on the idea that I would ever, you know, be playing in, on tour. So when I got this opportunity, I was like, well, wow, the minute I give up my dream of playing in tour events is the minute that it sort of came to me and so it was very very exciting to play in that it's such a huge scale of a golf tournament that I had never been um, prepared for I thought I had been prepared with the events that I had played in but there is nothing like the feeling of being in that environment being inside the ropes Um, so it was really sort of a ceremonial that I had my dad caddy for me as well because it was always a dream for him to be able to caddy for me in, in a tour event and we had a lot of fun. The score wasn't anywhere near where I wanted to be, but the experience to get that under my belt was just in itself worth more than any score. I bet. Now, I know with your degree and you're entrenched in the psychological part of the game, but you know, when you're when you're stepping up to the first tee at a major, right, and you put the peg in the ground, ball on the tee and you're standing there, what's What's that feel like? How's you know? Is it is it pressure? Is it excitement? Is it anxiety? Is it a little bit of both? How do you deal with that? Well, you know, I put so much preparation into what that feeling was going to be like that I worked a lot into, um, you know, mindfulness, a lot into lowering my breathing rate, and so I really thought, gosh, I have this nail. Like I've got this expertise in psychology. I know how to regulate my emotions. And I tell you what, the minute, the minute I get up on that tee, it hit me just like a hurricane, and it is unstoppable. And until you actually live through that experience, there is zero way to prepare for it. And (laughs) having even the most clear head, something just comes over your body where it just starts to shake. And it's really, it's actually a phenomenal feeling to have. So you have to embrace it instead of fight it. And I think for a while I tried to fight it like, you know, I don't want the feeling anymore. Go away, go away. Instead of embracing it and saying how cool this is. But it's definitely a mixture of, you know, anxiety, judgment. What are people going to think? Am I going to be good enough? And it just really mixes into this big ball and just tries to hit you and knock you down. It's pretty phenomenal. 
Are you just saying to yourself, just let me get this ball in the air? Just get in the air. That's all I care about. <laughs> get off exactly. This. Let me move it forward <laughs> and let's get out of here, away from the crowd. <laughs> you know, Bobby Jones once said golf is a game played on a five-inch course, which is the distance between your ears. Talk about the pressure that you've dealt with, plus, you know, the work that you do with players with dealing, you know, how to deal with depression, performance, anxiety, and that thing in conjunction with what, you know, what your degree is. Yeah, I think, you know, most of it stems from my own uh, personal experiences with golf and sort of the emotions that I've kind of encountered in the roller coaster that we will call competition. And so personal experience, I think, is a wealth of knowledge in itself where you can really emphasize and relate with players, with what they might be going through. And, you know, being able to get to someone's level by explaining your own experience, I think, is valuable in itself. So working with players, I tend to, you know, not only teach the skill-based stuff, things that that one can do to cope with whatever emotions they might be feeling, um, but the second element, too, is understanding. And a lot of times people just want to be understood with what they're feeling. And if they um, get that sensation that someone else gets me, a lot of times that in itself is powerful enough to help. So, you know, taking that personal experience and the things that you've dealt with, what do you tell people, you know, to keep them from crumbling under pressure? Is there a, is there a swing thought? Is there something that you plant in their mind and, you know, focus on this? But what is it that, that we can do as amateurs, even when we're playing in our member guest, member member, or weekend Nassau to keep from crumbling under pressure? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, pressure is such a dynamic facet in itself that it's hard to say there's one thing that sort of fixes it all. But what I would say is helpful is um, awareness and also focus. And what I mean by that is, having an awareness of what you're feeling. So if you're feeling nervous, that's okay. You're probably supposed to feel nervous in that moment. But recognize it. Don't try to fight it. And, um, you know, be able to kind of identify what you're feeling, even if you can't put it into words. Because that's what your body is supposed to be feeling at that time. But too often we try to fight it and push it away and try to cover it up. So having an awareness of it, I think, is the first part. And the second part of it is redirecting our attention, so our focus. Instead of paying attention to that feeling of uncomfortableness, instead of paying attention to, um, gosh, what are the guys going to think of me if I miss this putt, or I really want to win this $7 NASA, focus your attention on what you're doing. Make the putt, hit the drive, hit the shot, and you'll quickly realize that you're not paying attention to those emotions anymore. You're actually paying attention to what you're supposed to be doing, and that's playing the game. Right. Like I mentioned in the intro, you were recently recognized as the Western Section Teacher of the Year. Fantastic honor. Good for you. What are some of the common mistakes that you see we amateurs consistently make when you're playing with us? I would say too many swing thoughts, um, trying to do too many things, at once, that tends to be um, the biggest issue. And where that usually comes from is too many filters of information. So amateurs will have in the attempt to seek the perfect swing or the attempt to play better golf, they'll have 
maybe a swing instructor. They'll have Golf Digest, Golf Magazine. They'll have, you know, an array of videos on YouTube or array of videos on TV. And now you've got six different ways to fix a slice and six different interpretations to fix a slice, let's say, that it really gets all jumbled up. And it's like, who do you listen to and and what do you do? And so that's the biggest mistake is, is, I'll be working with the student and say, what's going through your mind? And, and they've got like 30 things going on there. And I'm like, wait a minute, all we're talking about right now is your alignment. So where are you? And so, you know, I tried to incorporate a little bit of this mindfulness approach. And the perfect definition of mindfulness is doing one thing at one time and knowing that you're doing it. And I think that's the perfect example of always focusing on just one thing in that given moment and paying attention to what you're doing. And at that point, you won't have, you know, swing from the inside out, rotate the face, close my stance, get a stronger, <laughs> right. you know, because <laughs> that's just right. overwhelming real quick and the swing just is, you know, falls apart. Right. Allison, you've got a fantastic website. Talk about what people can find on it, plus how they can get in contact with you for things like, you know, lessons, help with the mental side of the game, um, plus also how they can follow you on social media. Yeah, so it's a new website for me, and um, it tells a little bit about my background. It's basically just sort of um, a quick quick tutorial about who I am, what I do, where I'm located. It's www.allisonkurtgolf.com. Um, I talked a little bit about some of the lesson programs that I'm offering at this time, anywhere from TPI fitness assessments to um, lesson packages to swing analysis, video analysis. There's a little bit of um, a display of my teaching styles and some of the tips that I've done. I've done some Southern California Golf Association video tips. And then lastly, there is some information about how I'm incorporating the mental side of golf, the emotional side of golf, into, you know, bettering our holistic approach. So, again, that's www.allisonkurtgolf, and you can find everything about my teaching business and how to get in touch with me from there. Yeah, and you've got some, you know, not only on your, on your website, but people can also find your tips on YouTube as well, correct? Absolutely, yeah. It was part of the um, SCGA Swing Tips, and... They're on YouTube as well. Um, just looking up Allison Kurt Gawk, you'll be able to see the six different swing tips ranging from beginner level to advanced level. Right. You also just put out a, a, a Groupon coupon, right, for some uh, lessons? Is that right? Yeah, that's new for me. That is still in the works, but I believe it is, it's um, already available. And so for, you know, people that are just kind of testing out an instructor or wanting to see if it's a good relationship and a good fit, this is a, a little bit of a discount to, you know, get them in the door and, and see how I can be of assistance to them. That's great stuff. Allison, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for getting up early this morning to be a guest with me next on the TO. I hope you'll come back and join me sometime, and we're certainly going to be following your success, hopefully bringing home an LPGA championship. I'm looking forward to watching to see how you do in that tournament. But thank you again for being here. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks so much for the support, and I had a lot of fun this morning. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Take care, Allison. Talk soon. All righty. Bye-bye. Good night. Good day. All right, we've got our next guest, Jason Finley, hanging on the line. Going to get to Jason just uh, on the other side of this station break. This is Joe Lajanusa from Thursday Night Tailgate. 
and you're listening to On the Tee with Chris Mascaro on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Now joining me is Callaway Golf Director of Marketing, Jason Finley. Jason, thanks so much for getting up at uh, O Dark 30 out in California and uh, kicking the do off the first tee with me this morning. I appreciate you being here. No problem. It's my pleasure. How are you today? Oh, fantastic. Jason, um, let's start by talking, you know, getting right into the innovations that, you know, Callaway Golf is coming out this season with. Let's start by talking about the Big Bertha driver. What can people expect, um, you know, when they pick up the new Big Bertha? Well, really, they can expect to hit it farther, most importantly. You know, that's something that every golfer wants, and, and you know, it's easy for the marketing guy to say that, but, you know, it, it legitimately is. And, and in both of the cases of the Big Bertha drivers, we've delivered on innovations that are kind of, you know, new and industry-leading to, to really give the golfer more distance. So, you know, in the case of the Big Bertha Alpha, we've got the gravity core, which allows you to adjust your spin really, you know, as one of four forms of adjustability that you have in that driver. So it's an amazing right. product. And then in the, the standard Big Bertha, you've got the adjustable perimeter weighting around the uh, perimeter of the golf club. So moving from, you know, the driver into the irons, you guys have got the Apex irons this year. What sets them apart from irons that you've had in the past and in the marketplace today? Yeah, the the big difference on the, the Apex is is that it's a forged iron that, you know, many would consider, you know, of game improvement shape. And, you know, that's a unique combination because typically people hear forged and they say, ooh, I, I can't play that yeah. or they think blade or any of those things. Um, right. So this has been a product that's, you know, provided all those benefits of, of a forged golf club, but with its multi-material construction and, and high-strength steel face, you're able to get ball speeds that are incredible, yet it's tremendously forgiveness, you know, forgiving and, and feels awesome. So um, you've had a really wide range of golfers that have, that have picked up that Apex iron and, and played it. So, you know, when we amateurs are going into, you know, our local retailer to get fitted for new irons, Jason, and I'm comparing what's new from Callaway against, you know, all your competitors, what are some things that I need to keep in mind to consider when I'm comparing iron to iron? Yeah, I think one big thing, you know, particularly as the, the market for irons has changed a little bit and you've seen, you know, lofts being strengthened or shafts being, you know, extended and, and all those things, um, you know, and sometimes it's it's done for a good reason, particularly with the loft. But you know, the, as you get on a, a monitor, and it's always super important to get fit, particularly in the case of irons. But you know, when you get on that monitor and you start hitting it, don't just look at the peak distance you hit a given iron. You know, look at your miss hits and and all those things because a lot of the irons today that, that you can hit long, the way they're designed, they're also very unforgiving. So you want to make sure that as you pick out an iron, you do it in such a way that you're hitting it closer more often. Because at the end of the day, that's really the goal. Yeah, yeah. Slicing it off <laughs> into the woods farther isn't uh, isn't any better, right? No, and even short and long, you know, it, it, it's different with a, an iron than it is a driver where you're hitting it at a specific distance target. So to be the most consistent you can be with an iron is, is the most important thing. Yeah, and, and you and you speak about loft now. You know, I mean, you know, getting back to the driver just for a second, Jason. I mean, we've in the past there's been you know different schools of thought. Is you know is more loft better? Is less loft better? Do you want to hit it on a line? It seems like the industry has kind of gone back to more loft is better. Talk about the loft that the Big Bertha driver is going to be available in. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it, it's really player dependent, and you know certainly the way that the driver is built um, is most dependent on what loft you need. And and you know even if you played a nine five yesterday in a competitor's driver, it doesn't mean that you necessarily need to play a nine five in ours or an, or a different competitors. And um, yeah, one competitor in particular is talking about lofting up, but that's really the the way that driver is designed. Um, yep. that you need to. Um, the Big Bertha drivers, in the case of the Big Bertha Alpha, it's available in a 9 and a 10.5, um, but you've got four degrees of, just, of adjustability from each driver. So the, the 9 degree, for instance, can go from 8, or 3 degrees, sorry, 8 to 11 degrees, because it can go minus 1, plus 1, and plus 2 of stated. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the, the 10.5, you have that same range and then in the standard Big Bertha, you've got a 9, a 10.5, and a 13 HT. So you've got a tremendous range, and, and you can get to, you know, as high as 15 degrees of loft if you need to and as low as 8. Um, Is that right? In, in the Big Bertha. Yeah. In, well, in w- across the range of Big Bertha. So there's certainly any loft that, you know, 99.9% of golfers are going to need with, with the way that right. our driver is designed, again. You know, it goes back to that and, and really how the driver is designed and, and what it's designed to do. Right. Let's, t- let's talk a little bit about the golf ball. You guys got the uh, Speed Regime 2 golf balls out this season. What makes that a better ball over what we've seen in the past? Yeah, so for us, the, the Speed Regime line is, is really designed for swing speed, but the, the way ours is different is that it, the aerodynamics are designed differently for people that swing different speeds so you know you you always if i swing uh, 115 miles an hour which i don't by the way um and my mom <laughs> you know swings 75 but you know we both want a ball that has spin and control around the greens we shouldn't be playing the same golf ball because we need it to fly differently so the whole idea behind speed regime is really that the golf ball's are designed differently for different swing speed ranges. So as uh, Speed Regime 1 will be for anybody below 90 miles an hour. Speed Regime 2 will be from 90 to 105. And then Speed Regime 3 would be anybody 105 and above. And then the other thing on, on golf ball this year that's been pretty amazing for us is the super soft golf ball. And, yeah. you know, it's a 38 compression golf ball, which, you know, people that have been around – you know, and think back to the days where you played a Titleist Pilata 90 or 100, 38 compression is really soft, and we've gotten right. a lot of really great feedback on that, and, and it's been amazing. Yeah, actually, I picked up a dozen of those golf balls um, before heading out to uh, our annual you know, guys weekend, and we play some golf and uh, hit that golf ball, and I was surprised. I was, I got to be honest with you, I was a little skeptical about it. I thought, boy, this has just got to be way too soft. But that ball performed really, really well, and particularly, you know, 100 yards in, I found that ball to be a great ball. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, we actually, the the big surprise we heard more than, you know, just how soft it was, was people were calling it their winter ball. And, you know, being here in California, I I have no idea what that means. Um, (laughs) But they were saying, you know, it's so soft. and, And if you play a harder golf ball, when you first start playing and the ground's frozen and you're frozen and, and your golf ball's frozen, it's just miserable. And so people loved it for that reason even, which, you know, is another thing I never even thought of. Yeah, no, good point. So, so we've had a lot of fun with that, and we've got some, some more exciting news in that category coming soon too as well. 
Man, you know, and to that end, let's let's kind of peek into the future a little bit. I'm not asking you to give away any trade secrets here, but what are some <laughs> innovations, you know, on the horizon that you know golfers can look forward to, whether that's later this golf season or maybe peeking a little bit into 2015. Yeah, I think you know the big thing you'll see is continue. You know, particularly in the case of drivers, you know, it's it's about materials and weight and, and things like that because all those things help the golfer hit it farther you know we we've got a, a great thing going in our drivers with the use of forged composite in our big bertha drivers that that really allows us to put weight and do more things like the gravity core that um others can't because you know we are the only ones to use this you know forged composite material and, and obviously have it patented and things like that so it just okay. allows for more you know ease of moving weight and further adjustability and, and really personalization for the golfer to allow them to, to build the club for themselves. So to that end, right, personalization I think is a key word here because it seems like manufacturers are pushing, you know, USGA limits every year for what's legal to do within the rules. So, you know, how can Callaway keep making improvements to what you guys have already done? Is it just around personalization of the clubs? No, you know, there's there's still a lot to be done. And, and, you know, the USGA rules are really about the center of the face, one spot in the geometric center in the face and, and how the, the driver, how fast the driver can be. And, you know, we're, we're always looking at how to make the area around the center of the face the hottest as possible. And so that the more shots you hit, the higher the ball speeds you get, you know, because... Typically, in a, in a driver, the further you move away from the center, the, the more you see a, a degradation in ball speed. And unfortunately, we as golfers don't always hit it in the center of the face. So, you know, that's, that's, right. that's a big area that, that we're all looking to improve upon. And, you know, certainly the way you can adjust and move weight around and, and do things like that is is really the, the way we're going to be able to evolve. In the, in the case of drivers, you know, there's a ton of, room still in um, irons and, and things like that to continue to make them more forgiving and, and longer, which, you know, again, most people are not afraid to have. <laughs> yeah, always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Jason, when you look back on the past, you know, over the past and the things that you guys done, talk about what are some of the, you know, more successful marketing campaigns that you guys have run and what are some that uh, maybe not so much? <laughs> um. Well, I think, you know, even this year with, with Big Bertha, if you if you look at what we've done, we've brought back some of the things that we used even originally back in the day when we had a Big Bertha driver with You Can't Argue With Physics and Sir Isaac okay. is playing a pretty big part of our campaign this year and, and will continue to be something we use. So I think certainly you'd have to look back at that. And, you know, in its time, the Big Bertha driver was clearly the dominant driver and, you know, we had Mac Davis and Kenny G and Johnny Miller and, you know, all these kind of crazy people in our ads. Right. Um, so certainly you'd have to argue that that was successful just because our business was so dominant. But, um, you know, some of the – we've tried some wacky things and we've tried some stuff that didn't work as well. Um, you know, it may have been timing. It may have been, you know, ahead of its time. It may have been behind its time. So – you know, it's it's a constantly evolving thing. I'd say today the biggest difference is, is you know, we're we're creating content every day. Um, we have, you know, just like any night nightly show would, we have a morning production meeting of what are we going to create today? What are we going to do on social media? What are we going to do 
um, you know, video-wise, any, any of those things um, we're doing every single day now, which is very different from what we had been doing in the past, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talk about some of the personnel. You mentioned Johnny Miller, Alice Cooper, obviously. You know, you, know, you talk about yeah. maybe a wacky guy that's done some things. With you. Who are some of the, you know, some of the whether it's celebrities, tour players that you've uh, really enjoyed working with? <laughs> um, well, you know, we've we've got a lot of great guys on our staff today, and you know, I actually was we were with Phil shooting a, a, a commercial yesterday, and he's really the best, I would say, at. Um, doing commercials and things like that. You know, some of the other guys aren't as comfortable. And, I mean, they're golfers. They're not actors. So um, Phil is definitely the the best, and that's probably experience as much as anything else. And and he's a great guy. He's he's a lot of fun to be around and super competitive. And uh, we didn't have the time yesterday, but at past shoots with him, you know, he's been playing ping pong with, you know, us and the people on the crew and, you know, chucking a football around and, and all that. He's super competitive. So um, yeah. he's been fun. Uh, Gary Woodland's a lot of fun now on our staff. And, you know, really all our guys are great. And we're we're trying to do things that are a little more fun for them as well. We've done a whole series of events um, called the Kings of Distance events. And you can go see them all. We've, we've live streamed yeah. them on our website. Um, right. And, you know, we did one this past week. And we had five of our tour players you know, at Top Golf in Dallas, and we're hitting the targets. We've had an, you know, a blow up of our one of the guys on our team that at past events we had out on the range. So we've been having a lot of fun with them. They actually enjoy it because it's not just a normal, you know, corporate event. They have to show up and give a clinic and, you know, talk to a bunch of people. They're actually having fun. So, so we've been having a lot of fun with our with our team. I'm sure as the director of marketing and, you know, interacting with the, the tour players and some of the celebrities that you, you know, that you mentioned, I'm sure they're all coming up to you, giving you, you know, Hey, Jason, we ever thought about doing this here. Hey, how about this other thing? Have, have, have any of them actually come up with something you thought, Hey, you know what? That's not half bad. Sure. You know, you, you hear some stuff and I mean, even yesterday, you know, Phil's giving his opinion on how we should do things differently and what he liked and didn't like. And, you know, we had a couple of things right. we wanted to do that he wasn't real into. So um, that may certainly guide what we do or don't do with them. And, and certainly his team needs to approve anything that we use him in. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they do all the time. And, you know, while the, the pain, I guess, of being in marketing is that everybody thinks they know how to do it better, um, but it is fun to also hear other people's ideas and, and see the, you know, even looking at other stuff happening in the, the market, whether it's in or out of golf and seeing how you could do it in a different way or better or, you know, or make sure you don't do even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Jason, so. just looking into your, your, your own golf bag, what's your favorite club in the bag? Favorite club in my bag right now is my X2 Hot Pro 20-degree hybrid. So that, that and, and really the other one for me is, is my 64-degree Mac Daddy 2 wedge. So that's that kind right? of been a club that, that yeah, it's, it's really changed my game, and, and I joke about it, but, you know, people that, that play with me, I've had a lot of people that have gone and gotten a 64-degree wedge in their bag, but I just have so much confidence with it around the green, and I, 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 chip, I chip almost exclusively with it. And it's very easy for me, you know, particularly in, in California where you, you don't have a lot of tight kind of lies that you need to putt and things like that on. 
Um, but even when I've gone to, to abandoned dunes and stuff like that, the caddies have, you know, handed me a putter and I, you know, pull the 64 degree wedge out of my bag and they look at me like I have four heads, but it's been a great <laughs> golf club for me that I just have a lot of confidence in. And, you know, I, I first tried it just, you know, joking around down at our test center after, you know, seeing that Phil had put one in the bag and we were offering one and, and I really liked it. And so I've been playing with the one for about six years now. Oh, all right. So you, you yeah. mentioned Bandit Dunes. I got to, you know, I'm sure you've had the opportunity to play some of the great courses, you know, around the world. What's, what's been your best golf experience? I would say that, um, from a, you know, golf trip and experience perspective, Bandon is, is the best, um, for me, just because it's, it's great golf. It's, but it's also just very pretty low-key, I would say, is the right way to say it. It's not, you know, over-the-top and pretentious, and um, it's just a fun place to go that's all about golf. You know, you're not going to find a spa there. The restaurants, you can wear, you know, shorts and a T-shirt, too, if you want. Um, So it's just, it's an amazing place that, you know, from a pure golf perspective, I I think is really hard to beat. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, a couple more before we let you go, Mark. First, you know, if, uh, as, a, as a consumer, what are, what are some things that you want us to take away that we should know about, you know, Callaway Golf? Yeah, I think more than anything else, the, the best thing is to, to have a look at our website. We have, you know, obviously all the information about any product that we offer, which is, you know, hundreds. Um, but there's a ton of unique content on there as well. If you go to the media section, you can find anything from, you know, how to hit a driver longer to, you know, learning about people in the golf industry. You know, we do a podcast every week with famous people in the industry. And, you know, we have shows of everything that we've done for weekly recaps of things that we've done. We have a, you know, recap of all the things happening on social media. So you can learn a lot about the game, the people within the game, and the products uh, of ours there. So again, you know, we're we're creating content every single day. Um, so follow along on social media and, and on our website, and you can you can get all that content. It, it's been great. Anything tricky to find in you guys? To, you know, on social media or online? You know, Callaway Golf and at Callaway Golf. Is those the two places people should go? Correct. It's it's at Callaway Golf on Twitter, and there's a whole you know uh, list of people on you know, on our team that are they're pretty active every single day on, on social as well. So, um, yeah, CallawayGolf.com and, and at um, CallawayGolf on Twitter and, you know, obviously CallawayGolf on, on Facebook as well. So, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of out there on all the platforms as Callaway Golf, and, you know, our website can get you to, to all those places as well. So, really, you know, the website is the, the starting point for us. All right, well. Well, Mark, you've been fabulous. Thank you so much for getting up early, you know, on a uh, on a Saturday to be a part of the show. I really appreciate it very much. Great talking to you. I hope you'll come back and join us again sometime. We'd love to keep up with what you guys are doing here about, you know, all the latest innovations and get that word and help it, help spread it to uh, our listeners, the folks on uh, on um, um, Armed Forces Radio, you know, and around the world on the internet. We uh, we'd really appreciate it. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Have a great day. All right, Jason. All right, all the best to you and your family. Okay, thanks. All right, everybody. It's uh, time to put a bow on this one. My uh, my big thanks to Allison Kurt and Jason Finley again for getting up early out in California being, and for being such outstanding guests. Uh, also, uh, my thanks to our announcer, Joe Elijah Nusa, 
who always does such a fabulous job kicking the show off every week. And most of all, I thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and uh, Joe Lajanusa. You can hear us here on the Armed Forces Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio, and TuneIn.com and great places all across the Internet. We're on every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time talking to uh, the legends from around the NFL. We're official uh, uh, partners with the NFL Alumni Association, so we bring you five great guests every single week. Please also check out both shows on Facebook. Give us a like. That's important to us, too. Uh, and check us out online. You can find this show, Next on the T, at nextonthetea.net, thursdaynighttailgate.com as well. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes and keep up to date with uh, who our future guests are on both of those sites. Until next week, my friends, hit them straight. the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time. Meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. And participating Wendy's for a limited time. Meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.